Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters podcast. This is episode 23. You got Chris and Brian. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about what we find in the difference between what we call like good gear and better gear and best gear. Yep. Uh, and kind of how the how they hold up differently in real world applications. Absolutely, guys. As we go through this, um, we are going to mention brands. Uh, we're going to talk about brands. If we pick on your favorite brand, um, you know, please don't get butt hurt. Um, there's a reality check that there are some recreational brands out there that fall into that good, better, best, uh, that fall into the good part of that, maybe even the better part of that conversation. But there's a reason they don't fall in the best, and, and this is not just our experience, but it's generally recognized practical experience across the industry uh, with folks using this stuff. So, so, you know, if we pick on your brand, um, you know, I apologize for hurting anyone's feelings, but this is just what we see or, or what the people who see a lot, a lot of rounds go down range have seen, you know, in recent history. So um, we, we throw out the good, better, best concept a lot uh, at Cap City Outfitters. We'll, we'll tell in general, I'm perfectly willing to let somebody else sell you good stuff. Uh, most of what we do is better or best. Um, you know, if I'm going to tell somebody, hey, you know, Hollow Sun Optics are, are great optics for recreational use. They're great optics for hunting. And if you throw it in the closet on your AR and that's what you got to grab when things go sideways, you know, within your own home as a civilian, um, there are worse options for sure. There are also better options for sure. Um, generally, the items that we sell as better rather than best, we sell them as such and we have no problem saying that. Um, and I'm going to throw out an example right off the bat, VortexOptics.Optics. Um, if you're looking at like Sparks, Spark 2s, not necessarily the Spark AR. Um, the Spark and Spark 2 are good or maybe better optics. Um, I would say the Spark 2 is a good optic. The Spark AR is a better optic, but neither one of them are Trigicon MROs or Aimpoint T1s, T2s, um, or, or optics of that nature. So, you know, understand that. Everybody says with Vortex, Oh, but they've got a lifetime warranty, and we always joke, is it transferable to next to kin? Because if your optic crashes on you, um, you know, in your first gunfight, might be your only gunfight, um, you know, can you, is that warranty transferable? Um, and, and that's kind of a joke, but kind of not. So, so you know, starting off with those kind of mentalities, um, do we want to talk about guns, optics, or what first? Yeah, let's talk about, you know, kind of maybe where we see extra wear and tear on guns. Okay, yeah. Um, so, you know, for our law enforcement friends, if your rifle qualified and your rifle is going in and out of your cruiser all the time, um, it's probably bumping into things, it's probably banging into things. Um, that's definitely a scenario where having something more durable, like a Trigicon MRO or um, Aimpoint T1, T2. Comp, um, Comp M4. Comp M4. Quality low power variable. You yeah. know, a, a, a Leopold, a Trigicon, uh, you know, a good brand name low power variable. Uh, for sure and and if you're getting into you know one of those having one of their more combat focused low power variables yeah um, and not a hunting oriented low power variable makes yeah. a big difference absolutely um with the guns as well a uh, lot of vibrations in 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 police cruisers they're getting driven around you know modern vehicles are better than older ones for sure they're definitely a lot smoother um but bumps this that and the other things tend to come loose um, looking at you know ARs, how's, how's that gun assembled? Um, without getting into oh it got dirty and stopped working kind of reliability, but just simply um, you know are things put together at the proper torque values and stuff like that. 
Um, or the way thread phosphor is getting used. Exactly, exactly. Our, our castle nuts staked, uh, different things of that nature. You know, our, our barrel nuts installed the proper torque values. Those types of things really come into play with a gun that's getting handled every single day. Whether or not it's actually getting shot, you can actually wear out or wear a gun out of spec or out of function just with vibration and handling. Um, hard to imagine, but it's actually true if you're handling it every day. Um, you know, so when we get into, I talk about the five different qualities of ARs. Um, there's what I refer to as like the poop box brands that are, you know, sub $700, be really careful. Um, you know, you go up into the recreational brands, which is that seven to $900 gun. Um, until you hit that 900 to $1,100 legitimately mil spec gun that's assembled um, from the technical data package procedures and assembled with technical data package parts, um, you know, that's where you're getting into guns that are going to survive hard use. And even then, they still need to be PM'd and taken care of because the only difference between good, better, and best is service life. Everything made by man will fail eventually. Um, you know, so, so that's the guns matter too. So, yeah, same thing goes with the guys on the competition side. If you're out practicing, training a lot, um, you know, you're, you may not be handling the gun every day, but your round count's going to be significantly higher. Yeah. And those rounds, the vibration and energy going into the gun um, definitely affects things. Absolutely. Um, and, from a, and purely from a spec standpoint, too, um, if you want to see what meticulous quality control looks like, um, go to Bravo Company's website. They currently have a video up where Larry Vickers interviews Paul Buffoni, uh, the owner of Bravo Company, about how they QC their bolt carrier groups um, and the gas systems on the guns. It's, it's a 10-minute video about how they QC bolt carrier groups and gas systems. And you would think that would be like, I don't know, maybe a minute 18 long. Um, the, the, the depths of effort that Paul goes through with this company, they air gauge every flipping carrier. They air gauge them. Um, you know, and, and so if you start off in spec versus right at the edge of spec, you're probably a lot likely to stay in spec a whole lot longer as a wear item within a firearm, yeah. within a machine, within a system. So, you know, so yeah, so good, better, best, you know, hard not to put Bravo Company in the best category, Daniel Defense in the best category. Uh, Barrett, LWRC, you know, different brands like that. It's, it's hard to not put those guns in the best category because they go to great lengths to make sure they're in spec, made of the proper things, torqued down properly, etc. So, um, yeah. you know, uh, optics wise, you know, well, I'll, I'll go back to the dot optics thing real quickly. Um, I'm going to, without naming names, um, you know, we've, local agencies run in different optics. Um, you know, we've seen, you know, kind of a conversation around, well, we're going to have rack guns that we can hand officers who don't have their own patrol rifle. And, and you know, well, we're going to use these optics. We've used them for a couple of years. We really haven't had any problems other than battery issues and things like that, which, you know, that's life. Um, and, and, you know, I've had this conversation, so I'm not talking out of school. But if you're having battery issues, you might look at a different optic that doesn't have battery issues, that doesn't eat batteries when it's supposedly turned off, things of that nature. Um, you know, getting into using those and starting to do some training, especially around hard objects like cars, barricades, etc. Um, you know, this, this group of folks saw a, a number of those optics that had been good enough when they really hadn't been in use fail. Um, you know, and I think that's probably an eye opener for people to kind of go, oh, okay, you know, this is a little bit of why. Um, and, and I don't say that to pick on anybody so much as just from the, the teachable moment perspective of the reason why I'm always trying to sell you a Trigicon MRO 
um, it, over a Holosun, which I like. I own a Holosun. Hell, I have a Spark too on one of my 22s as a plinker. Um, you know, great little optic on something I'm not staking my life on. There's generally a reason we're not trying to upsell you for profits. I actually make less margin on the higher end optic than I do on the lower end one. But if you're staking your life on it, um, we have a friend of ours who has really good hair um, and he uses a phrase called the golden buttocks theory. There's one golden buttocks out there and I'm wearing it. So if I'm going to buy something to protect it, I'm generally going to buy a good quality product. Um, I think that falls under better and best, not just good. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, to go with that, you know, we've seen on the lighting side of the house, uh, Streamlight and Surefire hold up. Uh, other brands tend not to. I'll say it. I'll say it. I'm going to step in it. Can everybody, can everybody see the cow patty in front of me? I'm about to step in it with both feet. Nay, I'm jumping into it with both feet. Good God in heaven, will enforce, please make a light that doesn't have crappy switching, that the bezel doesn't break off of, etc., so that all the people out there who think enforces look cool and want them to work can finally be happy. <sighs> all right, I got that off my chest. Um, we, we say that from, ex from a lot of experience within our tribe. We've had a number of... A number of folks over the last six years try Enforce lights and break them repeatedly. Um, or have funky switching issues. Or, I mean, whatever your definition of broken is. It can, be, it can be you're crawling out of a vehicle, you go to the front or rear of the vehicle, or you're stacking pillars and the light banks off of something and your bezel's laying on the ground. Or it can be I grabbed my gun because something went bump in the night and I just popped it to check it real quick to make sure it was on and it came on bright and went immediately to dim and I couldn't figure out why and then it wouldn't work. Yeah. It, the, the Enforce stuff, uh, switching issues. Um, what's the new one? Olight. Olight is now making weapon lights. Um, Olight makes some really handy dandy handheld lights that are, that are amazing. The switching systems I personally think are a little bit complicated for tactical lights, but for a light to carry around walking the earth, um, it's, it's a phenomenal little light. It just doesn't necessarily go along with the gun very well. Um, not to discredit it as a tool in general. Um, we had a, 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 a local law enforcement department um, in Ohio purchase a number of those for their handguns because it's going to be the next new thing. Um, was talking with one of the guys. Um, it, they're great as long as you don't let it rain on them twice. Uh, the, they, they had guys, you know, a couple guys stuck in, in crash scene situations directing traffic in the rain. First time didn't matter. The second time, light died. Um, and it wasn't a one or two light conversation. They had a number of situations where, hey, the light's exposed. Now, if you're a concealed carry permit holder, your gun's under your clothes. It's in a holster. It's probably not going to get dumped on for hours in the rain, especially twice. But if you're law enforcement, it could very easily be in a holster that leaves it exposed enough that those things start to matter. Um, and, and that's, I'm picking on a brand that I actually like in this case. Um, you know, we used to pick on Streamlight too, five, six years ago, when Streamlight was still using um, plastic mounting systems and still using incandescent bulbs. Uh, when, when the switch to uh, LEDs came about and their lights became a lot better, except they still kept falling off of guns. Any kind of striking drills, any kind of working around vehicles, barricades, etc. we saw a lot of Streamlight lights on the ground. Um, and a lot of owners of those lights cursing because they no longer had a light on their gun and they couldn't find it because it was dark. Oh, the conundrum. Um, Streamlight has gotten way, way, way past that. They use aluminum chassis that mount. They stay on guns well. They use LEDs that put out a lot of light. 
Um, and they have some advantages in some cases because a lot of their reflectors create a lot of spill and a decent amount of reach, which on a handgun is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's why we sell them and that's why we don't sell the others because they either they're not proven or they don't work. Take your pick. And until it's proven, I'm not comfortable with it. Yeah. So, sorry, Enforce guys. Um, another thing, you know, we see from time to time is I've definitely definitely seen this in classes. Um, guys that want to, you know, torture test their guns yeah. just by running it <clears throat> until it doesn't, until it stops working because they don't want to clean it. Um, like, we've all done it. Yeah. I think more just out of laziness than anything else, not True. necessarily intentionally. Yeah. But you can run a Glock for 1,500 to 2,000 rounds without having to clean it or lubricate it. Um, been there, done that. Should you do it? No. Nope. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, you know, wipe it down, add some lubrication when you need to. Um, having a properly lubricated firearm um, just decreases wear and tear on all the internal parts. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to go beat your gun senseless from a perspective of wanting to have um, some inner peace with your tool, knowing that it's going to work, um, you know, when the chips are truly down, if you envision, you know, an end of the world type scenario and that's what you view that tool to be for, that's fine. Um, go out and prove it. Make sure it works. Make sure you're comfortable with it. Uh, but doing it on a regular basis is, you're, like you said, you're just putting unnecessary wear and tear on the gun. Um, you know, and, and have I, yes, have I absolutely pushed too many rounds through a gun, suppressed and gotten it ridiculously dirty? Um, yeah, it, it, at this stage of the game, if I'm doing that, it's because I'm lazy. It's not because I'm trying to prove anything. Um, I figured out, you know, from a brand perspective and component perspective, what works and what doesn't. So if you want to test your gear, by all means, please go test your gear. Do it with the understanding that you may be shortening up the service life of a good piece of equipment by doing that. Um, and also the caveat when it comes to torture testing stuff. Um, the other thing to think about is if it's, if it's more being lazy and not a, not a, you're trying to gather some data points. If you're trying to gather data points. You should know how many rounds the gun's at when you start it. You should know how many rounds the gun's at when you finish it. You should be aware of any changes to the behavior of the weapon, whether they're outright malfunctions or not. Did it slow down a little bit? Could you tell? And if you know the gun well enough, you'll know those things. Even if you don't have an exact failure, you'll know you were close. Um, we just did a podcast on shooting you know, intermediate distance with rifle, and I had a trigger that the gun is dirty enough, the trigger is starting to feel a little bit different. Um, that's what we call a clue. You know, there's, I'm not testing that gun as a torture test. I've got enough rounds through it. I know I trust it. I need to stop being a, a lazy twit and clean the gun. So, and yeah. lube it appropriately, or at least lube it appropriately. And a lot of problems go away with lube. I would say, you know, if you're running a suppressed rifle or a suppressed AR pistol, um, your maintenance interval should get halved. Um, personally, Easily. If, if I'm putting more than a magazine through a suppressed AR-15 platform gun, um, that get that gun gets cleaned and lubricated when I get home. Yep. Uh, and part of that is just doing you know, inspection on all the components, making sure things haven't broken. Uh, I found a, a broken, found a piece of, right, a, I'm looking at my bolt the one night and I'm like, that doesn't look quite right. You know, I've, I've broken a gas ring. Yeah. Um, did the gun still work, you know, with the broken, one broken gas ring? Yeah, it worked just fine. Um, but that was something that got replaced, you know, very Absolutely. quickly and was able to get replaced quickly um, because it was cleaned and inspected PM. and yeah. PM'd on yeah. a, and by PM we mean preventative maintenance, uh, you know, on a regular basis. Uh, I found that, again, with suppressed guns, especially suppressed short-barreled, you know, AR-15 platforms, 
um, things like cleaning up or polishing um, the trigger detent pin or the safety selector detent pin yeah. um, becomes important because high pressure carbon gets blown in there and yep. that pin gets crusty and all of a sudden your safety selector gets really hard to work. Yeah, or, or you can wear down the point of the detent and your safety gets mushy instead of being crisp. Yeah. Instead of having the feel that you're used to because you've got carbon in there and carbon acts as a, you know, an agent that can wear on other parts, um, if, especially when not lubricated and suppressors tend to blow lubrication out of guns. Um, so yeah. just you know, things to be aware of, uh, you know, when the bolt carrier group, again, gets hotter, gets drier, gets covered in carbon yeah. with the suppressor, uh, if you don't keep that well cleaned and well lubricated, even with you know nickel boron coated stuff and other fancy coatings, you know that we can get on bulkier groups and things. Yeah, um, you're just adding a lot of mechanical stress uh, to all those components, making their lifespan a lot shorter. Yeah, and when you're looking at you know torture testing, if you pick out X Y Z brand of rifle, handgun, optic, etc., um, you can probably Google X Y Z brand of rifle torture test or XYZ brand of optic torture test and you can probably find somebody out there who's you know taken the rifle filled it full of sand shook it out and then fired it and it worked fine or it didn't whatever um, and if that's appropriate to your area of operations then sure go find that if you want to do it yourself that's fine too um, but it's probably already been done and it's probably not really giving you a whole lot of data as a single weapon data point um, from a statistical analysis perspective you know, so your gun did it right that time or failed that time. It doesn't mean it won't the next time at the circumstances. It's very hard to do those types of testing in any kind of scientific, repeatable fashion. So, you know, what you may be getting out of it is either confidence or perhaps a lack of confidence that's misplaced because, you know, you're doing something that's just not realistic. Um, freezing your gun in a chunk of ice. Um, you know, if you're going to, and, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying don't do it. It's Ohio. It gets flipping cold here. We've gone out and shot guns when it's five below zero. Um, but, you know, how realistic is it that you're going to, you know, your gun's going to, you're going to take your, find your gun in a chunk of frozen ice, you know, clean it off and try and reuse it, you know, rapidly after that event? Probably not so good. Um, if you're going to go down to Camden, Tennessee and go shoot with tactical response and do some of their contractor-based stuff, you're going to be in nasty red clay sand that just sucks the life out of everything, including the shooter, I think, at some point. Yeah. Um, it, you know, you need to know what, what works and what doesn't. Um, you that, know, that's an, those classes are an opportunity to find out what works and what doesn't. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, and just working in the mud, rainy days. Yeah. Just working in the mud. Um, you know, we've had a couple recent training days um, at different facilities that are, you know, that maybe are less than improved. Um, and you drop mags in the mud and you find out real quick, wow, mud and mags shuts guns down. So that sucks. Um, you know, and you learn what works and what doesn't and how far to take your PM and when to do your PM kind of stuff. Um, if you're going to do some kind of a torture test or some kind of a, you know, at home, hey, will this work for me or not? Um, you know, taking an AR mag and kicking it around the kitchen floor loaded for a few minutes and bouncing off a couple walls just in saying, well, I'm comfortable with that because that's kind of a more realistic test, you're kidding yourself. Um, and you know who you are. Yes, I'm picking on you. Um, so, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. You know, look, look up the data. Look up the guys who are actually out beating on it. You know, what the mil specs are for reliability. The Marine Corps recently adopted the Magpul PMAG Gen 3 and Coyote Tan, 
and there's a fairly rigorous set of you know testing evaluations and, and protocols that they went through to say yeah this is legitimately better than the other things in the same cost and value range so be 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 you know be intelligent about it you know don't destroy stuff just for for giggles so yeah same thing you know taking a look at the uh, firing schedule for the SOCOM you know suppressed upper receiver group uh, you know the firing schedule on there really gives you a feeling for you know what like what's realistic from a, a essentially a small unit combat scenario yeah, yeah. Um, because it's it would be easy you know with eight magazines just mag dumping him yeah to more or less exceed what would even be the full auto schedule yeah. on an ar-15 yeah the rate of fire requirements for guns as a civilian you're you're likely never ever ever going to meet those requirements so you know testing to that spec is is interesting but it's probably doing more harm than good, especially in the long run. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, Optics-wise, and, it, you know, like I'm carrying a red dot handgun, uh, a red dot optic on a handgun right now. Um, Aaron Cowan does drop tests. He'll buy an optic, he'll put it in a gun, he'll run 10,000 rounds through the gun in fairly short order or 8,000 or something like that. Every 2,000 or 2,500 rounds, he drops it on concrete upside down from six feet. Um, you know, and guys go, oh, well, gosh, your optic broke. Well, that's simple. Just don't drop your gun. Um, that sounds like great advice from Sig Sauer on P320s. Um, just don't drop them and they won't go bang. Uh, but realistically, out in the world, you know, a lot of the LE guys, when that first came up, well, I've had my Sig and it runs just fine. Just don't drop it. Well, that's cool. But, you know, if you've been out in the world enough, you know that stuff gets dropped, stuff gets banged around. People get dropped. Yeah, people get dropped, absolutely. You know, when someone's trying to introduce you to the end of a fight by bouncing you off the planet, um, other things tend to hit the ground hard too. So, you know, bear some of that in mind that, you know, you know, but do you really need to take your gun out and drop it on the concrete with your optic to see if that's going to work? Probably not. Trijicon does a pretty good job of testing those kind of things, mm-hmm. and which brings us back around to buying better and best. So am I going to drop my gun on the ground to make sure my optic won't crack? Nope. Um, but have I racked it off of car doors, tires, bumpers, um, air vents and vehicles and all kind of fun stuff to clear it doing, you know, intruder stuff? Absolutely. Is that a proof of concept test? No, but it sure makes me a lot more comfortable with it. Is it abuse? No, it's training with it. And it gives me some comfort knowing that I trained fairly hard with my gear for a lumpy cake eating civilian. So I know it works. Yeah. And if you, if you able to do you realistic training on a regular basis and use the gear you plan on fighting with i think that's the best way to gain confidence that your gear is going to survive in a fight absolutely absolutely so and again buying the higher end gear that confidence won't be misplaced that you bought a cheaper one that happens to keep working um you know so or that you have to keep two setups where you need a training setup and a fighting setup Mm because you're not confident that your fighting setup is going to survive true 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 so, absolutely. Yeah, just kind of our thoughts on, I guess, gear, torturing gear, training with gear. Um, buy once, try once uh, is generally good advice. Where would uh, you buy once at? Caps, Caps to the, the Outfitters. Outfitters. Caps to the Outfitters.com, 4465, Cemetery Road. In the Hilliards. In the Hilliards. Uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, Thank you.